Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're uh, sleeping really well, in part because the windows are so effectively sealed off, uh, and the room's nice and dark and cool, and you're, you're catching up on some much-needed sleep. Uh, and, but then uh, a loving or maybe a menacing presence enters the room, to uh, remind you that it's mid-morning and they just kind of peel the, the, the curtains wide enough so that the, the morning, the mid-morning light streams in and, and wakes you up. There's a couple of different reactions you could have to that. One could be, could be thank you, thank you for waking me up. I, I was going to be late for work unless it was for you. I had no idea what time it was. I was happily sleeping, but I needed to wake up, I needed to feel the sun. I needed to look out and see the beautiful, the beautiful sunrise. Well, another reaction that you could have is, curse you. I was sleeping so well, and that sun is so painful. That light is so intense. The particles and the waves entering my room. Now, in Epiphany, we celebrate the unveiling of the glory of Christ. Uh, Christ's glory is, is a really unique thing in that it's God's very character shining through the life of Christ. And it shines in such a way that it's not so much that Christ is modeling God's character. It's not even so much that he's teaching about God's character, although he does do those things. But, but he actually kind of shines the character of God so that we can see it. And there's a mystery in that. It's actually hard to nail down. But the image of opening the curtains in a dark room captures it a little bit. Because Christ's light shines in such a way that it goes into dark places, and it has an effect on us, a strong effect on us, and it can actually provoke some pretty intense reactions. It can satisfy human hearts, but it can also be very offensive, even though the heart of Christ's glory is not to, not to, to, to beat down or, or, or offend, uh, rather to reveal what's true, rather to re- reveal what's beautiful and good. And so we can have a couple different reactions to it. We'll see a couple different reactions to it in Matthew 2. So the father, when Jesus is coming of age, reveals his glory to the world. Even when he's still a toddler, he's revealing the glory of God in the face of Christ to the nations. Um, and the father reveals the glory of, 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 of Christ when he uh, is baptized by John the Baptist, and the father speaks over his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's letting the world, he's kind of, opening the curtains a little bit so that the glory of Christ can shine in where it hasn't been shining up to that point. And uh, by God's grace, the church has an opportunity to uh, imperfectly and only, only by God's mercy, we have the opportunity in Epiphany and all year round to open the curtains in our neighborhood, to open the curtains in our networks, to open the curtains among the nations and say, behold the glory of Christ and to let it shine into dark places. Uh, we're commissioning today Tyler and Laura Patty for missions in the Czech Republic. They're gonna go over to the Czech Republic and train up church planters and leaders. They're gonna open their homes up. They're going to start a Bible college. There's a whole lot of ministry to be done, but what's at the heart of the ministry that we're commissioning them for is really stewarding the glory of Christ, to peel the curtains back and say, Look, all of the sons and daughters of the Czech Republic, look at the sunrise, look at the character of God shining before you, rising on the Czech Republic, and we're gonna pray for them. I'm actually gonna invite anyone who wants to to come down 
to this uh, pit area here and lay hands on Tyler and Laura and pray for them. And also, as I address them in this commissioning sermon, I'm addressing really all of you who wanna follow Christ, anyone who wants to peel back the curtain and say, here's the glory of Christ, to do that for your family, for your, for your network, for your neighborhood. And uh, so this is a, a sermon about the paradox of the great glory of Christ, which at the one time challenges us, and on the other hand, uh, compels us. This paradox that we carry uh, of revealing the glory of Christ is for Tyler and Laura and uh, to send them out, but it's also for all of us. So turn with me to Matthew 2. And let's reflect on two sides of the glory of Christ, two dimensions, like two sides of the same coin. And the first side is this. Christ's glory is challenging. Okay, so the, the nature of God as it shines through Christ it's challenging. And we'll, we'll read about how it specifically challenges a man named Herod. Verse one of Matthew two. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Let's just pause there for a moment to reflect on this man that Matthew refers to as Herod the king. Herod the king. Let me tell you about Herod. He had a good gig going. And his gig was called King of the Jews. Okay, in scare quotes, King of the Jews. He had a good gig going. Uh, he wasn't the authentic King of the Jews, but that was his power base. Here's what happened. When Rome took over Palestine, they uh, tapped Herod and they were like, you know what, you're kind of already in that zone of, of your, 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 you have Jewish ancestry and you know the area so why don't you, you can be our local magistrate, you can be our client king, and you can tax them, and you, must, you need to keep the peace, you need to rule them. And so that's what he did. Herod uh, took in lots of taxes, and then he did a lot of public works campaigns. He built the temple for the people in Jerusalem, a massive and beautiful temple. He also gave the entire city of Jerusalem a facelift. He negotiated treaties on behalf of the people of, of Jerusalem, but he also taxed them heavily. So if you lived in Jerusalem, if you, or if you lived anywhere under Herod's rule, you were heavily taxed with a lot of public works programs happening, which, I don't know, does that sound at all familiar to you? So Herod had a good gig going. This is his power base. He was, he was kind of loved and hated. He was a mixed bag in terms of being a ruler. And um, he also got very paranoid towards the end of his life. He was afraid of losing his power. He did not want to let go of all of the the power he had, the, the, the palaces that he had built, the fortresses that he had built, uh, this, this, uh, uh, the temple that he had built, to let go of that means to let go of what he built his life around. So you know what he did? Well, for starters, he killed his favorite wife. And he had 10 wives, and he had a favorite wife, and he killed her out of fear that she would try to take his power, and he killed three of his sons, three of his sons, his own sons. Do you know why he killed them? because he had a good gig going and he did not want them to take it from him. Okay, so this is a cruel and paranoid man who also loves power. Does this sound like the legitimate king of the Jews to you? You know, for those of you who know the Jewish prophecies and the Jewish scriptures about what would the Jewish deliverer and Messiah and king be like, does that sound at all authentic and good? It wasn't at all, but it was his gig and he did not wanna give it up. So the glory of Christ 
found its way to him and exposed him for what he was, which was a fraudulent king of the Jews. Verse two, uh, the, the wise men who, who came to Jerusalem asks him, uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? You know, the one who's born with the authentic royal heritage, the, the real king of the Jews? Well, who is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Essentially, the foreign visitors are asking, you know, hey, the evidence is pointing to the fact that there's been a legit king of the Jews born, and we would like your help to find him. We figured, you know, you're, the one, you're, you're king of the Jews now. He's going to be king of the Jews pretty soon. So can you show, where, show us where he is? And so this is the exposure moment where Herod's counterfeit fakeness is, is, is exposed by the light of Christ, even though Christ is only probably a couple years old at this point. Already he's exposing Herod for who he is. It's the challenge of the glory of Christ. We're already seeing it. So the apple cart is upset. Uh, verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was whatever happened in Herod when he felt threatened, that happened with the coming of the wise men and their question. And well, all of Jerusalem with him. And Matthew's referring to Jerusalem as kind of, you know, all of the religious people. There was a whole class, a professional class of religious people that thought that they were the gateway to God. And they laid heavy burdens on people and they were like, yeah, you have to do everything really, really, really perfectly and then maybe God will love you and we're the ones who embody perfectness and if only you would act like us, then the Messiah and the King would come. Well, the Messiah and the King is coming without consulting them, so they're upset. <laughs> Herod's upset. Um, the, the kind of, the, the religious people in Jerusalem are upset. It, it's, it's the strong reaction to the glory of Christ. Um, so Herod assembles some of these people. He, in verse four, assembles the chief priests and the scribes. These are, chief priests are the kind of the rulers. The scribes are somewhat the scholars and the teachers. And he's like, hey, when, where, where is Christ going to be born? And they told him in verse five, well, Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, prophet Micah, by the way, combined with Second um, Samuel. So this is law or sorry, this is history, 2 Samuel 5, and prophecy, Micah 5, combined into one quotation, and he says, they say to him, to Herod, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Well, why are you, you know, the small little town, why is it not least? Well, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Future king of Israel is gonna come from a no, a no land place 12 miles south of Jerusalem called, um, uh, called the king, or called Bethlehem. That's where he's gonna come from. So Herod's like, okay, go to Bethlehem. Verse seven, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Again, Scare quotes, worship him. Um, that means quash him. Quash him like I quashed my three sons. Um, and uh, Herod is essentially going to try to kill Jesus and, and, and in doing so kill all of the boys, the little boys that were Jesus's age in Bethlehem at that time. There wasn't a lot of 
boys that age in Bethlehem, but the ones that did exist, um, that stayed in Bethlehem, were slaughtered by Herod. The first martyrs of, uh, uh, for Jesus, by the way, um, were, in, were in Bethlehem, these little boys uh, that lost their lives because of the glory of Christ. This is how offensive it is. It's still happening today, by the way. This is how offensive the glory of Christ is. It's challenging. Um, so um, why is the glory of Christ challenging, by the way? Why is it such an offense? I think there are a couple of reasons. Uh, first, uh, the purity of Christ's character reveals our impurity. The purity of Christ's character reveals our impurity. All the ways that we have mixed motives, all the sin in our hearts, um, all of the, uh, the ways that we've carried out unkindness or injustice, uh, that's revealed. We can forget about or hide from those dimensions of our personality and personal history but when we come face to face with Christ and his glory, when it shines, it is like that curtain being pulled back, the light and the particles, the waves and the particles of the light of Christ come in and reveals how dark it has been, uh, more dark than we've come to assume it's been. So the purity of his character reveals our impurity. I think also the authority and the weight of the being of the person of Jesus Christ reveals our creatureliness and our mortality. And that's unpleasant to feel, to feel how limited our existence is when compared with the weight of the existence of Christ is unnerving and disconcerting. So uh, this is, uh, we, we see this when Jesus grew up and he started to call his first disciples, his first learners, his first apprentices. And he says, they've been fishing all night, they haven't caught anything. And in the Gospel of Luke, uh, it, it tells a different biography of Jesus that tells us that Jesus approached some of these fishermen, one of them was Peter, and, and he was like, hey, throw your nets out, uh, you'll catch some fish. And they're like, hmm, how do we explain this to this non-fisherman? Um, we've been fishing all night, and we're kind of good at it, so um, if we haven't caught any fish, there's no fish, sir. So um, he's like, well, hey, why don't you try it? And so they throw their fits, they throw their fits. Uh, they would eventually, they throw their nets uh, into the water and out, you know, their nets are bursting with fish. They can barely get it in the boat. Now, if you or I were fishermen, professional fishermen, and had that kind of a return for our work, we would uh, maybe be like excited about the fish. And we're like, hey, can you come back next week and let's start a, let's start a business here, uh, a fishing business. Um, but you know, what was so interesting is that Peter responds um, by saying, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Why did he say that? Well, he saw he got a peek of the glory of Christ. And it revealed his sinfulness in a way that was startling to him. And so he pushed Jesus away. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Just like Isaiah in the temple in Isaiah 6. I to, I'm an unclean man. I've got unclean lips. This is, the, this, this is one of the impacts of the glory of Christ. This is why it can be so unnerving and even offensive. We can, we can rage against Christ's glory like Herod, or we can push Christ's glory away like Peter. Uh, now, Tyler and Laura, uh, we're sending you out today to steward the glory of Christ, to, to, to peel back the curtain in the Czech Republic. And knowing you guys, we know that you're gonna do this in a way that is so gentle and so loving and yet clear, and we're proud of you for that. Um, 
along the way, as you pull back the curtain on the glory of Christ, there might be some people who react to you and, 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 and uh, put everything on you and make it about you, but it's not about you. When you face discouragements, when you face setbacks, when you face rejection, um, know that the battle is not between flesh and blood. You might feel it personally. Don't take it personally. Uh, take heart, as Paul did. Take heart, uh, because Christ's glory actually shines even brighter in your weaknesses, in your imperfections, in your discouragements, and we'll pray for you. So call us, get on the phone, send an email and say, we're facing opposition, we're facing persecution, we're facing discouragement. Even just the doldrums of raising a family and doing ministry at the same time, tell us about that and we'll get on our knees and we'll hold your arms up because we love you so much and because the glory of Christ is worth it. So shine the glory of Christ even when you face setbacks. The glory of Christ is challenging, yet you will unveil it to the people of Ostrava and the people of the Czech Republic. And all of us, really, will be a part. All of us who follow Jesus are called to pull back the curtain, to show people the beauty and the power of the shining glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It will be challenging to us and to the people that we love and care about. But there's another side of it. Second point, the glory of Christ is compelling. Sure, it's challenging, but it's also compelling. And why is it compelling? It's compelling because it's beautiful, like the sunrise is beautiful. It's, it's satisfying to the human heart, just like we're, we're satisfied in a small way when we're in nature, when we're uh, at the top of a mountain, seeing, see, looking out, looking at uh, this uh, vast creation of, of trees and rocks and, and sun and sky. Um, the glory of Christ is the most compelling thing that we could ever behold, and um, it's going to draw in spiritually hungry people. There's never a time when it's not drawing in spiritually hungry people. And in our text today, the spiritually, the spiritually hungry are represented in the, the magi, or what's sometimes referred to as the wise men. These are a professional class of, of priests hailing from an eastern city like Babylon. And they're most likely professional you know, uh, uh, magicians and astrologers, this is the, their frame of reference, is we find out about reality by looking at the sky and watching the movements. Um, and uh, they were on a spiritual pilgrimage. The fact is that they weren't satisfied in what they had found thus far. And they said in verse two, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. How did they know about the star and, and, and the king of the Jews? It may have been that from the Babylonian exile, they learned about the Jewish scriptures and began to study them for themselves. We don't know, but we do know that God saw fit to peel back the curtain for them by letting a unique and supernatural star rise in the sky that guided them on a journey that was likely about 800 miles in the, in the desert, in, in the Middle East. I mean, this is the distance between Babylon and Jerusalem. Just to put this in perspective, 800 miles is the distance between Chicago, and the city of Dallas, Texas. And there was no spirit airlines for the Magi. So they came on camel or donkey or foot, and they came looking to have their spiritual hunger satisfied. Imagine 800 miles of anticipating that the 
that the hunger in your heart is finally going to be satisfied. These men, perhaps women, are dedicated and they want to know what's on the other end of that star. In the context of the biography here of Jesus' life of Matthew, these, uh, these magi represent what Isaiah foretold. And we read about this today in our Old Testament reading. Isaiah says about the coming of the Messiah, nations will stream to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. There's been a brightness of right, there's been, a brightness has risen over Bethlehem and, and a royal delegation has followed it, has tracked it down because they want their spiritual hunger to be satisfied. And so uh, let's read about what happened. After listening, to, this is verse nine of Matthew two. Verse nine of Matthew two, after listening to the king, probably listening with some suspicion. You got it, you know, these are probably intuitive people and you know, this, something's off here. Um, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, hundreds of miles away, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So the, the star supernaturally that appeared in the sky is localizing over Jesus's house because it led them to his house. So somehow this light localized around Jesus's house. So there's more revelation of glory and it's like they're getting so close. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is a, a pylon of, of, of words describing joy. One scholar uh, translate it, translates it, when they saw the star, they were thrilled to bits. They're just so excited. They're so close to the desire of, of their heart. They're so close, they are within inches of the desire of the nations. And they're gonna get to worship him face to face. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are very expensive gifts by first century standards so that they're pouring out their wealth. They're, they're bringing their wealth. It's represented in these gifts, all of which have different purposes. And, uh, and they're worshiping Jesus by by. It's what we talked about last week, the oblation. This is an oblation of their life. This represents who they are. This is what worship is. We bring ourselves because we want to partake in Jesus because he's given himself, so we give ourselves, and there's this connection that happens. It's beautiful. It leaves us transformed. This is what they're seeking. This is what they're doing. Some of the first worshipers of Jesus Christ were these men um, and women, if, if they were part of the delegation. So... Uh, there's, in order for this to happen, there's gotta be hospitality. Hospitality on the part of God to, to make an invitation for them to come to the, son of, to the house of his son. Hospitality on the part of Mary to, to let them in. Hospitality on the part of our Lord to, to make space for these, for these wise men to come in and for their spiritual hunger to be satisfied. And all of us who follow Jesus are called to this ministry of hospitality to the spiritually hungry. If Christ's glory is satisfying, there needs to be spaces, real flesh and blood, uh, real, real physical and, and literal spaces for people to come 
and see Jesus Christ. In fact, I remember uh, when we started the church, one of the main, th- main, main uh, labors of the leaders of the church was to find a worship space where Jesus' glory could satisfy people. We we're like, where can this happen? And, and I remember once we finally found this space, which we love, this Kiva space, I remember being in here with, with, with Dan Fager uh, and, and Susan and, and Lindsay Evans, and we're like, all right, where do we put the cross? Where do we put the altar? Where do the musicians go? Where do they... I mean, it was space-making for the purpose of showing hospitality, and it's been a wonderful five years of beholding the glory of Christ here in the Kiva, but this is a work for all of God's people, and Tyler and Laura, I, I wanna invite you to invite the people of the Czech Republic to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. So many spiritually hungry people, you've shared with me about the wave of people who have interest now in Jesus Christ and beholding his glory and taking part in it. And it's a beautiful thing to hear about, and I'm so glad that you're going at this time. You've told me that this is a really opportune time in the Czech Republic. There's been, uh, 60 years ago, when when communism fell, uh, there's been a lot of interest in, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you're calling people back to, to behold the glory of Christ again. Um, now, uh, the truth is that spiritually hungry people, there's a lot of actually ambiguity about how their story with Christ is going to end. I love the Magi for this. There's ambiguity in their story. We don't see what happens on the other end of this. We see the Magi making a great effort to come see Jesus, to worship him, but they do, do they become his disciples? We don't know. The discipleship, as we see it in Jesus' biography of, of Matthew, is messy. It's a very messy process, uh, complete with failure, betrayal, uh, really difficult parting with things that gave you security. It's like the, the uncomfortability, am I right, when you're sleeping in the dark room and the light comes in. So we don't see the Magi enter that process. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. The text leaves it ambiguous and unclear. And that's where a lot of people are, honestly. They're, they're kind of in between. You know, like the Magi, they might be spiritual people. They might have a lot of spiritual longings. And they might even come to a special service, like they came to Jesus' house. But will they really become disciples of Jesus? It's, it's kind of like not clear. But nevertheless, Jesus showed hospitality to people who were all over the map spiritually. Some people who were ready to become his disciples, and they did, and then they stopped. Some people who were not ready at all, they were very resistant. He, anyone who would receive his invitation, he would show hospitality to, and that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. People are, are messy guests, but the Lord is a very patient host. And, and Tyler and Laura, I want to invite you to invite the people of the Czech Republic into your three-bedroom apartment, which faces the main square of Ostrava, which you can pronounce much better than I can, let's be honest. Um, but also, I've heard from you that you're going to be working hard to start a Bible college. That's, I mean, that's some hardcore institution building. That's going to require some budget building, which is another act of hospitality. You're going to be training up leaders. You're going to be inviting them into your classrooms and into your homes and, and, and nurturing them spiritually and feeding them theologically. And what a gift that will be to them and to the spiritually hungry of the Czech Republic. Be patient. Be a patient and loving host, an imperfect host, um, and uh, invite people in their ambiguous spiritual state to come and behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. They're going to need 
that loving uh, hospitality. All of us do. All of us need that loving hospitality because all of us have a whole mixture of things that we bring to the Lord, and all of us need to behold him face to face. The glory of Christ is challenging. The glory of Christ is compelling. There are people who will resist. There are people who will respond. And there are a whole lot of people who are in between. And Tyler and Laura, we are sending you out with love and with faith that the Lord is gonna lead you every step of the way and give you everything that you need. And we're gonna pray for you along the way. I wanna charge you to be faithful to this task. And I wanna charge all of us to stand with Tyler and Laura, to pray for them, to fast with them, to sacrificially give to them, and to support them year after year, week after week, decade after decade, for the work of stewarding the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jesus Christ created all of us. He has paid an atoning and bloody sacrifice so that we can be forgiven of our sins and draw near to the Father. He has rose again in victory over our greatest enemy, and he offers us to be a part of his renewal of all things in Chicago, in the Czech Republic, and in the world. Jesus shines his glorious, loving, patient, forgiving, holy visage on our church, on Tyler and Laura, Chicago, and the nations. So let us all, not just Tyler and Laura, faithfully, faithfully peel back the curtain, lovingly, Peel back the curtain to steward the glory of God in the face of Christ. And now Tyler and Laura and anyone else who will receive this benediction, may Christ, the Son of God, be manifest in you that your lives may be a light to the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.